If you've got a Bible and you want to follow along in the Bible, turn to Titus chapter 3. Or if you want to follow along on your phone or something, otherwise we'll have the scriptures up on the screen as well. But we're continuing this week in a series going through the book of Titus. It's called Spiritual Leadership. And we see in the book of Titus an emphasis on leadership in a variety of areas. The first week we looked at leadership in the church and how the church is supposed to be led, the kind of individuals that are to lead the church. And so we looked at that. Those are elders. And of course, we have elders in our church and the kind of people they're supposed to be, right, to lead the church. And then last week, we looked at leadership inside the church and how leadership is supposed to be happening amongst the church people within the body of Christ. This week, we look at a community leadership, what spiritual leadership looks like as the church, as the people of God um, are interacting in their, in, in their community, um, God is interested and cares about leadership. It's an important topic. It's an important discussion. And when we look at leadership, we ask, what is it? Because a lot of people say, well, I'm not a leader. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to be a leader. I don't want to be in a leadership position. That's for other people. I don't want any of that. And yet the truth is that um, as I'm defining leadership, I think it's a good definition. I think it follows scripture that leadership really is influence. Leadership is influence. And so by that definition, I've been telling you guys that all of you have influence. There is someone, at least one person that's watching all of you and they're watching what you do and how you live, the decisions you make. And they are making decisions about their own life based on your example. And so you have influence, whether you acknowledge it or know it or not, you do. And so I wanna encourage you in the direction that the book of Titus does and the scriptures do, God's word influences us to use that influence in the right way. And so that's what we're examining in this series. You know, Jesus, the greatest leader that's ever walked the planet, his influence was so impactful that it continues to this day 2,000 years after he walked the earth. He continues to influence the largest group of, of, uh, in, with, amongst uh, the human race that anyone ever has. Tremendous impact and influence. And yet, he was, at the time of his life, kind of obscure. <laughs> he lived in a small country, Jewish nation, with a small group of people. Not really the world impact people, right? And yet, Jesus, his influence during his life was tremendous, and even after, and that's really because of what he did and who he was because he died on a cross and he rose from the dead. And his claims were that through him, you could find forgiveness of sins. You could find salvation. You could be made right with God. And those are things that every human being needs and desires and wants. And Jesus is the only answer to that. And so this, this uh, book by the, by, by the Apostle Paul that we're looking at in this series, written to Titus, a young leader, following a missionary endeavor that Paul and Titus went on together after Paul was um, released from house uh, imprisonment in Rome. Uh, he and Titus went to the island of Crete and they traveled through Crete and they preached the gospel. They led people to Jesus and, and these groups of people that they led to Jesus, they formed into communities or churches. And, and uh, Paul continued on his journey. He had other work to do, but he left Titus on the island of Crete among the Cretans, and Cretans were tough people. <laughs> Remember that uh, first week, I think it was, we talked about how Cretans were, you know, lazy and gluttons, 
and cruel animals. That's what they were known as. Tough group of people. And yet Paul left Titus there to establish leadership in these churches, order. And we're going to see this week that he wanted that, um, that influence. He wanted that order to even affect and influence the community that um, these churches existed in. Jesus' model of leadership was an upside-down model of leadership. It was different than the world had ever seen. Um, Leadership in the world had always been revolved around power and control, and yet Jesus didn't come to take a position. He didn't become a political leader. He wasn't even a well-known religious leader. He didn't take a position. Jesus really came and modeled a whole different kind of leadership which was built around servanthood and serving. And so that's the model that we see. And that's why to lead in the church isn't to take a step up, right? It's to take a step down and to become a greater servant. Jesus said, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you need to learn to be the servant of all. And so serving is the model of leadership that we want to implement through our lives as followers of Jesus in every arena in which we exist and are able to influence. This next topic that we're going to kind of Uh, engage in the book of Titus in this third chapter, Paul, the apostle, again, he writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he's writing the words of God and they're uh, applicable to us. That's why we read them and take them in and live by them because they're God's words. And so Paul's writing to this young leader, Titus, on how leadership should happen in the community. See, Paul wants the movement of Jesus to spread throughout the world. Jesus gave the great commission to his disciples, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every nation, right? Make disciples in every nation. And so Paul is attacking that mission with a vengeance. He's a powerful force and his area of influence is within the Roman empire. Virtually every country he went to, every people that he interacted with were part of the Roman empire. So he wants Christianity, this movement of Jesus, to become an accepted religion within the Roman Empire. And so his approach, we're going to see today, says this, that Christian leadership in the community is cooperative. It's cooperative. Let's read the first couple verses of Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Follow along as I read. Remind the believers, Paul says to Titus, to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient always ready to do what is good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. Early Christianity, this early movement that Jesus started, that his apostles and disciples began to spread, the Holy Spirit was a part of this movement, um, There were miracles that took place, evidencing that God was doing something very powerful and new. This new Christian movement filled with Christians, followers of Jesus, they were to be a people within their communities that had a positive disposition toward governmental leaders. A positive disposition, a cooperative spirit, cooperative attitude, right? Not slanderous, not argumentative, but instead submissive, Humble, gentle, whew, it's a big uh, calling, right? It's a big uh, uh, task to change the orientation of a group of people that are known as, you know, 
harsh, cruel, you know, difficult people. And he's asking them, listen, guys, as you follow Jesus, here's how you're going to interact with your government authorities, your government officials. Uh, you're going to be submissive. You're going to be cooperative. You're going to be gentle, humble. That's the approach you're going to take. You know, the early church was known not as Christianity. It was called the way, the way. It just meant this way of living that was new and different. Nobody really knew what it was. A lot of people didn't know what it was, but here's this message uh, uh, that's sweeping the land. It's a message of, as I said, forgiveness, peace with God. Um, And it all comes through this Jesus who walked the earth that people might've heard of, but again, he existed in this little uh, country of Israel that wasn't as well known. And so most people hadn't heard about what had happened. And in, in the midst of all this, this, this Jesus figure, Paul is preaching was God in the flesh. He came from heaven. He took on a human body and walked the earth. And then he ultimately, after demonstrating that he was God, performing miracles, forgiving sins, ultimately he went to this cross, he was put on trial, accused of uh, uh, wrongly, but ultimately he was killed and he was buried in a tomb. And then Paul would say, and then on the third day, he rose from the dead. And people would say, yeah, whatever, Paul. Rose from the dead? People don't rise from the dead. And Paul said, no, 500 people saw him at once. All of his disciples saw him. All these people saw him. You can go find him, uh, he would tell them. No, there's still evidence. There's these witnesses that saw Jesus. He rose from the dead, proving that he was God, conquered sin and death. You can be forgiven. You can find peace with God. This was the message that the way believed in and followed. And because it was this obscure uh, belief system and religion, if you will, the Roman Empire didn't know about it. And so therefore it wasn't accepted. See the way Rome ruled the earth, they were a conquest empire, right? They would go and conquer a group of people by force and and subjugate them to their empire. And, And yes, there's called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, and it was forced peace, right? And so by the weight of their military power, they enforced peace on the earth. But when they would take over a people group, conquer them, one of the things they would do to try to keep those people fairly peaceable and submissive is they would allow them to keep their religion. And so that's why the religions of the people groups that Rome conquered were allowed to continue. And so they were legal religions. So Judaism... Uh, the, the following the Old Testament, the law of Moses, that was a legal religion. But this way thing <laughs> that kind of came out of Judaism, that nobody really knew what it was. See, it didn't have legal status. I think we can see from Paul's emphasis, the way in which he encourages the early Christians to live, he wanted it to gain that status because they faced persecution because they weren't a legal religion. And so Rome would persecute this religion, this new movement, followers of Jesus, so much so that the book of Hebrews in the Bible is written to Jewish Christians who lived in Rome. And, and, and the writer says, listen, I know you're under persecution. You're being pressed, but don't go back to Judaism. See, the, the Christians, Jewish Christians in Rome, were going back to Judaism because it was legal. They could be a Jew, right? And they could worship Um, legally without being uh, oppressed and persecuted. And so the writer of Hebrews, we see in chapter two of Hebrews, verses one through four, he says, so we must listen very carefully to the truth we have heard or we may drift away from it. 
For the message God delivered through the angels has always stood firm. And every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. In other words, God established the law and he backed it up. Verse three, so what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself, then delivered to us by those who heard him speak. And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever he chose. The writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, I know you're under pressure, right? You're being persecuted. And, and what we're doing here has not been accepted yet by the governmental authorities. But don't go back to Judaism. Don't go back to the law because salvation is found only through Jesus now. Some of the strongest warnings about salvation are written in the book of Hebrews. A lot of people wrestle with those. What does this mean in relation to things like eternal security? You know, and, and how does this affect our salvation? Because there's such strong warnings. And that's the reason, because the church was being persecuted. And so Paul wants the church, he really wants this movement, the way, the movement of Jesus to be accepted within Rome so that the people that are converting to it or following it are not persecuted. But it would be long after the apostle Paul left this earth that Christianity would become an accepted legal religion within the Roman Empire. Didn't happen until 313 AD when the Edict of Milan was um, put in place by Constantine and Christianity became legal and had legal status within the Roman Empire. And so Christians lived in this tension of living in a culture, in a community that didn't really accept them. In fact, where they could be persecuted because of their belief, but because of the hope, the truth of the gospel, it continued to grow. Paul wanted this new church to have a good attitude to represent Jesus well. And so he urges them in this passage, in relation to governmental authorities, in relation to how you act in the community, he says, here's how it's supposed to be. Cooperative. Have a good attitude. This is the attitude that Jesus is going to put into you anyway, right? Instead of becoming, instead of being a person that is slanderous, that's critical, that's argumentative, that's, you know, agitated. No, following Jesus is going to change your heart, going to change the way you act and live anyway. It just needs to include how you interact with those in authority in your community. I think the principle that we see throughout the New Testament in relation to government authority and the, and the role of living within a country under governmental authority is to be good citizens. The New Testament reminds us, especially in the book of Romans, that God actually has put in place governmental authority. It comes from him. He's the one that instituted as a means to bring order. The government is supposed to fight against evil in the world, though it doesn't always do that. Sometimes it propagates evil. But the, the role that it plays, that's why it's there. And so, um, so God tells us to be submissive, to be cooperative, to be respectful to the authorities, governmental authorities, even when we disagree. In fact, good reminder is the Roman Empire was not pro-Christian, right? They were anti-Christian. It was a pagan culture. Um, the last thing they did was uh, be sympathetic towards the teachings of Jesus, or towards what Christians believed. But Paul knew that to be agitated, to be angry, right, to be negative and to come with that approach towards authority and power is not going to get a good response. 
And so he wanted the change within the Roman Empire, the societal change, which he hoped would influence even the government. He wanted that to be a change that came from God's spirit, from the Holy Spirit and the work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. You know, Paul in his ministry ended up in front of governmental authorities a number of times. In uh, Acts 25, Paul ends up in front of King Agrippa, who's the king of the Jews. And he ended up in front of Felix, who was a Roman uh, representative, a Roman ruler. And his interactions with them, um, we need to watch because we're taught to be respectful, submissive, right, to government authorities. And Paul, when he ended up in front of governmental authorities, what did he do? Well, you should read his interactions with these leaders. As I can tell you, Paul was respectful. He was positive, right? He was uh, a very um, humble in his approach. He was also pushy. <laughs> he pushed really hard on them. And he said, listen, I got to tell you a message that's going to change your life. And he pressed so hard in front of Felix as he was making a case for himself, right? And for the gospel and the message he was preaching that Felix, the Roman uh, governor that was over uh, Israel said, Paul, do you think you're going to convert me? You think you're going to make me a Christian? And Paul's like, yeah, I do. You need to become a Christian because this is true. What happened here is powerful and real. And even you, Felix, a governor and a ruler, a leader, you need to experience the forgiveness of God. See, that's how Paul went about it. You better believe he was trying to influence governmental authorities. As a good citizen of Rome, which he was, he had the right attitude and posture towards leadership. Humble, respectful, affirming, supportive. He also did everything he could do to influence them towards the teachings of Jesus, to experience the gospel himself. And so we translate the example of Paul, the teachings in the New Testament to us today in the United States of America in 2022. What does it look like? How do we apply these things into our lives? Well, again, I believe the overarching principle is to be good citizens wherever you live. And so we contribute to our community. We're the people that sacrifice and serve within our community to build it up, to help serve people. That's what we do. That's our approach. We're respectful to those in authority. And when we get in authority, we handle ourselves with good character, right? We care about people. We take the approach that Jesus took to serve and to, and to be sincere in our approach. That's the attitude we take. That's the heart we have because that's what Jesus does in our lives. That's the transformation that happens in us. We also influence our community towards Jesus. Our presence in the world, as Jesus said, is to be salt and light. We're to bring the influence of God into the world. It, it, unlike what some people might say and believe, Christianity is not to remain within the walls of the church, right? We have this whole idea that has been talked about a lot over the existence of our country, the separation of church and state. Separation of church and state. And currently, those that use that phrase, what their intention is, seems, is that the church should stay out of the state. You've heard that maybe? You agree that's what the message is? Well, originally, when that was first postulated, what it meant was that the government is supposed to stay out of the church. That's what, it was, that's what it meant initially. 
That's where that saying came from. And so the, the government was not to influence the church, but the church was to have the freedom to influence everything. See, um, the early immigrants came out of Europe where the church and state had been combined and it was oppressive. So most of them came to this country to find freedom, to worship, sincerely to worship God as they saw fit. And so freedom of religion and belief and worship, that's core to this country, to our DNA. But everything in our country is to be influenced by the people who live here. We're not to take a back seat. We're not supposed to keep our faith and our, uh, our worldview um, in our churches and in our homes, private. It was never intended that way. But as good citizens, our faith is supposed to come with us into the public square so that we begin to influence by our presence the world we live in. And so I want to urge you and remind you that the indication in the New Testament, the teachings in Scripture, whatever position you're in, to have the attitude, the mindset of Christ, be respectful and affirming and cooperative. At the same time, you are placed where you are in our community and in our world to influence it by the power of the Holy Spirit who's at work in your life. That's the nature of Christianity. That's the nature of what God intended. It's also, in spite of what you might be hearing today, it's also the nature of how our country was set up. In fact, one of the pastors in our region says, in order for this experiment in government to work, you know, this democratic republic, this free market, you know, all the stuff that we have going on here in this country, it's an experiment. It was really unheard of on the world stage before this country started. He goes, it really requires a Christian worldview, a biblical worldview, and people that live according to that in order for it to succeed. Because there's so much onus put on the individual, on the citizens, to live with honesty and integrity, to sacrifice, right? To give of themselves in order to build up and to make this country work. And so, you know it's true, right? And so, uh, I just want to encourage you and urge you, the scriptures back up that we would live present, active, and bringing who we are into our communities. Won't always want it, but desperately need it. Jason Gantz is one of the pastors in our fellowship and I've been getting to know him and he's in a small community here in Nebraska and he's just a pastor of a little church, minding his own business, you know, trying to be a good citizen, trying to be a good pastor, loving on people, preaching the gospel. But in his community, uh, uh, the school in which his kids are enrolled There started to become some infiltration, uh, influences into the school where there's uh, a desire to teach younger kids and influence them with a couple of things you guys all know about. One is uh, the whole uh, gender argument that there's 70 some genders, right? And that whole idea. And and so it's it's coming into the school and and the educators and some of them want to, especially, uh, you know, an administrative level, want to start teaching that. And then the, the, the sexual orientation stuff. Well, he's like, listen, I don't believe that's correct, but I love my school and administrators. I respect them. Uh, Humbly, he's gone, right? Not angry, not yelling and screaming, okay? But he's gone to, begun to attend uh, school board meetings and to speak out of love and grace, but speak the truth. I think that's appropriate role, even for a pastor, right, in our country, is to get involved where our culture is going off 
Most of the time, their intentions might be good. They're not ill-willed people, but they're just listening to the wrong information. And so we need to be present. We need to try to influence and speak into respectfully with love and support and cooperation, but speak into to help our culture move in the right direction. Christian leadership in the community is, trans, uh, is transformational. Transformational. Paul is going to go into a little, uh, the next section here, encouraging Titus um, with something that affects all of us and has affected all of us. But he says, listen, this is really something that we're supposed to be transitioning out of. Titus 3.3 goes this way. Paul says, once we too were foolish and disobedient, just like the world we live in. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures, just like the world we live in. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. It's not hard to see that in the world we live in. It's not hard even uh, for us sometimes to see ourselves pulled into some of those attitudes and behaviors and perspectives. And yet Paul says to Titus, listen, that's where we used to be. Following Jesus transitions us out of that kind of living. Our attitudes, our hearts, our behaviors, they change. These characteristics, uh, these, character, these words, excuse me, that characterize the character and motivations that he lists here, it's a tough list. Foolish, we lacked wisdom, we were disobedient, disobedient to God. We were slaves to lust and pleasure. We were emotional decision makers, just listening to our, sometimes our base desires and motivations. He goes, we were evil, meaning we were living in opposition to God. The things we did were the opposite of what God says to do. That's the way we persisted in living. He goes, we were envious. And lastly, we actually hated each other. Hate's a strong word. But he goes, this is how we lived. This is what characterized our life. Paul's making a pretty strong admission here. You know, he grew up as a religious leader. He went to Christian school, right? Uh, he went to Pharisee school. I mean, that was, he was training to be a leader, a lawyer and a leader in the Jewish community. He was taught, supposed to be the best at living out this religion, the law of Moses and following it. And he goes, yeah, you know, on the outside, it might've looked great, you know, but inside, here's what was really going on in me. He talks about this battle in Romans chapter seven of doing what I don't want to do and don't doing what I do. And he says, the law really just revealed and almost fueled my sin nature inside of me. I found out what was right. And all of a sudden I wanted, or I found out what was wrong, excuse me. All of a sudden I wanted to do it. I was drawn to it. It just revealed that I was unable to change. He goes, until I encountered the living God, until I invited the Holy Spirit to come live within me, and then I started to change who I was from the inside out, not trying to change my behaviors, but changing my heart. And instead of living out of these base um, motivations, instead of acting like a slave to my desires, I gained self-control. Instead of being an emotional decision maker, which always leads to decisions that we regret, he goes, instead of living that way, I gained the power by the Holy Spirit to become self-controlled and to make decisions, not emotionally, but based on the truth of God's word to be obedient to God. And so I was motivated by different things. 
I gained the ability to live differently. And instead of being envious of what others had, I could be content with what I had. Instead of acting in an evil manner, doing things that were the opposite of what God wants done, I'm able to actually live for God, become the person that God intended me to be. Instead of fostering hate towards others, I love others, even those that hate me. This is powerful transformation. Christian leadership in a community is transformational. Your presence as a follower of Jesus who's being transformed to live like God, you're going to, you're going to influence the people around you to consider what it is that you have in your life. What is it that you have, man? How is it that you don't hate that person that hates you? How do you do that? I can tell by the way you talk about them, you don't hate them. You should hate them. Everybody else hates the people that hate them. How do you do that? I mean, that's the kind of stuff that people can't ignore. That's the kind of influence that we're supposed to have in a community, in a country, and in the world. And Paul saw the way grow to influence the entire world. He did his part to, to influence the world and to encourage this early movement to bring about transformation in its communities. As we lead in our community, we've got to move away from these motivations that he lists and move towards the motives that Jesus really calls us to. And that means that Christian leadership in the community is pointing to Jesus. Titus chapter three, let's read verses four through seven. But Paul says, this is how we used to do it. But when God, our savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away all our sins, giving us new birth, new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. See, the gospel is what we lead with. It's what we lead out of. It's really the only thing that matters as we live in the world that God's placed us in. We're not just called to be good people, try to love everybody, certainly what we're called to do, not just influence them towards good moral character. I mean, that's great but we can't forget that what's at the center of all of it and what we've really been called to carry is the gospel message. Again, when Paul ended up in front of governmental leaders and he even appealed to Caesar, he wanted to get to Rome and stand in front of Caesar if possible. And guess what he was gonna preach? He wasn't gonna tell Caesar, oh, you should consider Christianity. You should make it legal. You know, he wasn't gonna argue this stuff. He was gonna say, you need to trust Christ. Here's the power of the gospel. Here's the message. He never lost he never lost track of that one thing that he was asked to do by Jesus. You and I are asked to do the same thing. We live in a community. Oftentimes we encounter opposition just like the early Christians did in Rome. We encounter people that aren't sure we're a good thing or we represent a good thing. Sometimes our faith is cast in a negative light, but we don't love people. We don't care about people. We're not compassionate all these forces were swirling around the Roman Empire and the early church. And yet they pressed forward with the message of the gospel. 
And that being what led them and the main message they preached, the influence grew. God's motivation in coming to us was kindness and love. Are you acting towards the world you live in out of kindness and love? That needs to be your motivation, your transition into that kind of person who's motivated by kindness and love. That's the motivation. Those are the motivators that God, uh, the reason he moved to save us. It's not because of our good behavior, which is uh, we're taught in the rest of the New Testament. It's not because of our good works. It isn't anything we bring to the table, but it's purely out of the mercy of God. But because God's shown us mercy, guess what we do? We're merciful to others. Mercy is one of the primary um, modes of operation that we live by. We love to show mercy to others. We love to other people, let other people off the hook to forgive them, to let them off the offense that they've done to us, right? That's what we love to do because that's what God's done for us. We know that it's not because of our good behavior. We know we're not walking around as people that are better than somebody else. We have something to offer the world. No, we know that humbly we've been saved in spite of who we are by the goodness and grace of God. And the fact that God has made us right with him, washing our sins away, man, that means we can walk in the goodness of life that God calls us to. Baptism is really a picture of this. Um, baptism gives a, an example, a visual, right, of being buried with Christ, dying to our old self and being raised to new life. Next week, we're having baptism uh, at our services. And if you haven't been baptized, I encourage you to contact me or uh, the church office and um, we can make sure that uh, to meet together and see if you're uh, ready to get baptized. But baptism is a picture of that. And so it's important. It's an important way in which we can testify to what God has done in our lives. How are you doing at influencing the world you live in? Are you getting caught in, uh, in those traps of either anger or fear? Uh, again, I was with a group of pastors this week and one of them said, man, it's hard to navigate these times. It's hard to know who to listen to as to what's going on in the world. If I listen to Fox News, I get angry, right? If I listen to CNN, I get scared, you know? <laughs> Neither one of those are right. Okay, I'm called to follow Jesus. He's the one I'm listening to. He's the one I'm following. And I know we all have a tendency to listen to different influences. Look, remember this, we live in this world to represent Jesus. We trust in him. We know that he's the one that's sovereign over it all. And we know that the gospel is the answer for the world we live in. God, thank you for calling us to follow you, calling us to respond to the gospel, the message of your grace. And God, you call us to be influencers in our world. You placed us here to make a difference and to live out our core convictions and live out of our relationship with you. And God, we want to be respectful. We want to be cooperative. We want to support those that are leaders in this world that we live in. And if we are leaders, we want to live that way, to serve people, to love the community and the people we, we live around. But God, we know you've called us to make a difference, to help transform the world we live in through the power of the gospel. And so help us to be bold, to be courageous, to be loving, to be kind, to be generous, to show mercy to the world we live in so that as we live on this earth, in our era, we can influence the world towards you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.